Today, I sit down with an American Olympic ice hockey defenseman. She is now a member of the International Olympic Committee. She's also on the executive board of the IOC and is the chairperson of the IOC Athletes Commission. That's the body that represents all Olympic athletes worldwide. She's the co-founder and managing partner of the Sports Innovation Lab, which is a market research and advisory firm focused on the intersection of sports and innovation, which is actually perfect for this pod. She's super focused. She's thoughtful and well-spoken. I especially love her analogy on playing bubble hockey. Briefly, she's talking about perspective, but I think you'll need to listen to our conversation to hear more. I trust you'll enjoy it. And here is Angela Ruggiero. I appreciate you sitting down. Yeah. Because I know it's, uh, it's <laughs> I was telling Tyler before we even got the chance to do this interview, there's probably very few, few chances to sit down with you. I can't think of very many athletes, uh, present or former, that bandwidth is in overdrive. <laughs> I mean, you literally came in from Sweden, yeah. <laughs> you know, on the board of the IOC. You've done a ton on behalf of the USOC. You sit on probably more than a dozen boards, or at least have advised um, throughout your career. Harvard MBA, and the list goes all the way through. And the most prolific Olympic athlete of all time, I think, <laughs> on a team sport, uh, what you've accomplished. So I appreciate you sitting down and, and looking forward to diving in. No, thanks for having us. And you're also, I think, doing crushing it, trying yeah. to <laughs> transcend just sport. I think that's, right. a, you know, those of us that were athletes realize we're not just athletes, we're people. And every person yes. has different aspects of them. Um, and when you're training, you don't always get to explore that. So you have to figure out how to budget your time. But um, since I've retired, five years ago, having more time to dive into other aspects of, you know, yeah. who I am um, and give that time, whether it's to organizations or interests. Um, yeah. For me, it's, it's like been really exciting and, and scary to be honest. Yeah. Cause you know, the transition when you're done is a really scary time. I remember sitting down with you three <laughs> years ago and you were looking to get into finance, Yeah. right? Yeah. No, I, I went back to school right after I retired from Olympic hockey Came back, got my MBA here at Harvard, and, you know, everyone's doing finance, everyone's doing consulting, everyone's yeah. doing, I, you know, the usual. And I was like, oh, I'll dip my toe in the water, see what that world looks like, because, right. you know, it's it, it's something I never had the opportunity to do when I was competing. I always worked in sports in some capacity. Um, I dipped my toe in the water and said, no, this isn't me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a great learning experience I and bet. took a risk and learned a lot in the process. Right. Um really what I didn't want to do, um, but also how, you know, to work in a big organization. And, and I always try to take something from every experience, whether it's good or bad. And um, typically we, do, we don't look, you don't look backwards a lot when you win, when you do things well. Right. Um, you That's do exactly a lot right. when you don't do well. You plague the game tape over and over. Um, yeah. But I just personally love getting better and learning and, yeah. you know, trying new things. And so yeah. um, I, a, I think the biggest thing is when I retired, I realized I shouldn't be scared. Um, I should be like excited because I have the oppor- I have more opportunities to, to do anything now. Yeah. That drive to be a terrific performer as an athlete, I think, crosses over well intellectually when you're uh, intellectually curious as a professional and retired. And I think that um, 
that, that, that kind of feeling and need to create yeah. is what you're doing. And I think if we do try and look back, mm-hmm. and I want to challenge you with a with a with an early question, is that in ten seconds or less, if you could describe yourself, how how would you do that? Because you have so much going oh, on. Oh God, <laughs> uh, trying to help solve sports tech globally through my company, trying to help uh, the Olympic world through my board work, um, and just trying to learn every day. Do you think that comes from your experience on uh, um, looking at gender disparity in sports and also being a part of a a niche sport in women's hockey? Partially, yeah. I think having growing up in a male-dominated sport, um, always feeling – understanding gender at nine. Yeah. You know, when you're not supposed to think about that. When I got cut from a boys' team because I was a girl and they don't want, you know, a girl on their team. And suddenly I didn't – I was like – what should that matter? And I learned, okay, if I'm going to make this team, I have to be, you know, twice as good as the next best player. And that was kind of the drive for me in sport was that like defining moment as a nine-year-old, um, you know, coupled with, again, like you said, being in a sport that doesn't get a lot of, tra- all Olympic sports don't get a lot of traction right. outside of the Olympic games. Um, yeah. So yeah, like always, I guess in a way, figuring out how to get better, how to be more visible, how to, um, whether it was my sport or myself or, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And your brother played for the Oilers. Yeah, my brother played pro hockey. He grew up, um, we played on the same team together. He was the goalie and we actually played together professionally. We were the first brother-sister duo in 2005. Yes, and you're the first female to have played professional hockey in North America. Yeah, outside of a goalie position, I was the first, uh, I got a point, I was, uh, (laughs) made the books. um. So what was that, what was that feeling like for you having been told as, as a nine-year-old that you couldn't play men's hockey to then being able to do it at the highest level? (laughs) It was awesome. I was like full circle. Um, but I think my dad gave me a really, he was like, you can quit and just prove that you shouldn't be there or you can prove them wrong. And, you know, you always have decisions in life, uh, go left or right. And, you know, you have challenging moments and I always find that those challenging moments like define who you are. Um, so at that point, I didn't know I was making a decision. I just knew I loved hockey and I wasn't going to quit. Right. And I was like, well, how do I make, you know, my dad just like, just be better than everyone. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can do that. So it was like, I don't know. I was like, figure out, Learn from your experiences and try to figure out how to apply them to future experiences. So yeah, when I got to play with my brother yeah. with the Oilers, it was just I gave him a hu- I gave him a pat on the pads and you know he was in net and 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 we were you know twenty five twenty six at the time yeah just like we did you know twenty years prior fifteen years prior and in, in you know little little league hockey yeah well making decisions I think in sports is is. Uh, such a vulnerable experience in a way that you're you're just like testing your ability to perform in business it's different you have to be probably a little bit more thoughtful mm-hmm. um, how do you look at every decision that's in front of you as an advisor as a board member as an operator now yeah sports is a safe environment yeah you f- you fail or you lose a game yeah and the world doesn't end uh, <laughs> and it's great because again you, you have more opportunities to try things out and take risks and, and learn from it in, in business or anything else. Okay. There's, there's more at risk. Um, but I still think approaching business like you do sports, which is 
have a game plan. Know where you're going. Have a goal. Yeah. Oh, you need a goal. When you're a five-year-old, it's a lot easier to become an Olympian or a professional athlete if you know you want to be a professional athlete or right. be an Olympian. So, to me, in business, it's like taking the same principles that I learned in sports and just transferring them. So, set those goals. Figure out how to break them down. Learn from your mistakes. You yeah. know, learn from your success. Yeah. Work within a team. Figure out where you have strengths and weak. I mean, it's like basic it's like drilled into my head now right um but if you approach it knowing that there's more on the line um it's like it's like going into the gold medal game with a different approach than you know the semi-final or the, the preliminaries yeah so, would you say it's good or bad i think it's bad yeah i, I agree. think you need the same approach yeah every day i have this conversation with so many different athletes and coaches because we just feel like everything doubles down when the game gets more important and it's the wrong mentality. Then you're, uh, yeah. Then you're, you're, you're not in the moment. And so one but, thing I used to do is, like when I was playing, um, pretend there was a scout in the stands. Yeah. So when the scout was actually there, you, you, you've done that a hundred times, huh. done it a thousand times. Yeah. In your head, right. it's all you know. It's all upstairs. Yeah. And in business, or hey, we have a big event today. We just put on, or hey, we have a big presentation, big sales pitch. It's Okay, did you did you did you practice the same way? Did you prepare? Are you, um, you know, are you are you approaching that 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 situation in life the same way you would, um, whether nothing was on the line? Yeah. I mean, well, I think too the, the the dynamic aspect of of sometimes encouraging people to block out what's going on yep. can be just as detrimental yep. as as over preparing. Yep. So sitting with the moment. It is, I think, where we want to be as athletes or entrepreneurs. I have a a trick, again, back in sports. I'm still trying to figure out how to apply it in business. I love tricks. Business. Let's do it. (laughs) But do you ever play bubble hockey? I have. Yeah, it's so hard. But it's fun. Okay, it's hard. But (laughs) if you're one of those little players in bubble hockey, if you look up, I go, the way I would approach like a big game is pretend you're like a bubble hockey player. It's There's this like bubble around you so you can – Still see people. It's not opaque. Yeah. A little translucent going on. Yeah. You can still hear things, but it's a little muffled. Yeah. So you're aware of your surroundings, but you're not like impacted by them. Right. So there's there's a bit huh. of like consciousness that you are there and you are aware of people and and the senses around you, but you're not uh, impacted by them. Hmm. So I was like, play bubble hockey. Like yeah. you're in the situation, be cognizant of what's around you and what's happening, but don't be... Uh, don't let that impact, you know, someone's booing you. Don't actually hear them booing you. Just hear a sound. Or Yeah, and I think even on a larger scale, the the idea that the people in that arena and maybe the like the power fans of mm-hmm. your sport are going to care about the result, but oftentimes we think that the whole world is watching, yeah. and, and that's not the case. Yeah. We talk about athletes, like, living in the past yeah. and and thinking about deals that they missed or – on one of our conferences we spoke at, we were talking about uh, wearable technology mm-hmm. and the downside. Yeah. No, I loved your comment, which is like, how could this help you? And right. What are the positive aspects and yeah. what are the inches you can gain from, yeah. from using it? So talking about helping, uh, helping ourselves and, and creating a platform, which you've done really well, um, trying to parse out where you can add value ha- however so often, how do you create your calendar on a daily and weekly basis? It's a good question. (laughs) 
Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I, I, I'm juggling a lot. I'm the chief strategy officer for the LA 24 Olympic bid. Yep. Um, Which we're, we're really hoping you bring in because that's going to help we're lacrosse. Trying, <laughs> we're trying hard. Um, love, well, I would love to see lacrosse on the, on the platform. Um, uh, working, obviously, with the IOC and the USOC and helping kind of at that World Anti-Doping Agency. And then, and then obviously, Sports Innovation Lab yep. we just launched, which is big market research for sports tech globally. Right. Um, so it's, it's, I think, strategy and talk about calendar. Like, it's as much about what you say no to as what you say yes to. Right. And when you have a lot of things coming at you and you're trying to balance, you know, work, life, and health, and I, you, I don't think anyone could do everything. Honestly, yeah. I don't think there's like a perfect formula. It's it's saying no to the things that aren't a clear priority, but you have to know what your priorities are in advance. Yeah. And I think they ebb and flow. I don't think at one point in time, like one piece of your life is significantly more and you know important. I think um, they 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 come and they go. They're all important, but you can like right now we just hosted a big event. I yeah. had to prioritize this. Yes. I didn't get a workout in today. Okay. Yes. Well, that isn't good, but. Uh, okay, tomorrow I don't work. I'm going to work out. I'm going yeah. to try to, you know, rest and recover, right. um, catch up on emails. I mean, so for me, I, there's no perfect formula. Um, but I think, and you could relate to this as an athlete, um, not just doing what you want in this, you know, in the moment, it, it, budgeting my time, mm. having a calendar, trying to have a routine, that, that sort of, um, Cadence, I think, to me, is like the, the only way I'm able to get things done. Because then I know, like, protect this time for, yeah. you know, work calls or protect this time for commute. Okay, family, uh, yeah. health. And as much as you can try to stay on a routine, I think that, that to me has, like, always been the most helpful. Yeah, I, th I think we also parse out moments in our life where we're going to say, hey, for these next five or ten years, I'm going long in career. And I'm yep. prioritizing yep. this. And I may not be able to give as much to social. Yeah. And that may come later. And we try to do our best to guess, and we never know how it's going to roll out. But I'm, I'm curious to, to hear, are, are there any uh, – you're heavily embedded in tech. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the calendar apps that you use, any type of like workflow apps that are helpful for everything that you have going on. So um, I'm big on just like Google. Yeah. Google, I mean, it's so simple. Yeah. But everyone's on well, it. It syncs. It syncs. You put it in. It, you block it. It yeah. gives you a reminder. I mean, it's just like it's such an easy app to use yeah. and um, and and very seamless. Yeah. Uh, with your life. Um, so I do that. I, I you know I travel a lot, so I'm um, I'm constantly sending myself like notes. Yeah. Um, so I use again very basic stuff. I don't I don't actually use a ton of you don't use them. Gadgets. Yeah. Because, um, and I use, honestly, a lot of pen and paper. Because yeah. I like to get my thoughts out um, in, a, in a way that I, that, that it's like, I like I have a whiteboard at home. Like the creative side. That's more interesting to me. I, it's so hard to put, you know, if you're trying to brainstorm or trying to, you know, you can't really do that to me on an app. It's hard. Um, so I have seen a, a company that you could do like a whiteboard on a computer screen, like a big screen, and, yeah. it, and it transfers into your to your phone. Phone. And I'm like, like, I need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love. I subscribe to the process of learning. For me, at least, growing up with several different learning differences, it finally started to resonate. What was helpful is is listening, and I have auditory processing disorder, so I have to often listen twice, mm -hmm. and then I write it down. Yeah, and then 
learning becomes 360 when I teach someone mm. what I just processed. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that's where you close the door. Mm. And so I, I really do uh, subscribe to, to taking down notes and spending time noting. And, and I think that's important. Well, I feel like it's a lot of times it's hard to debrief life the way that you debrief yeah. a game. Yeah. You watch game tape. Oh, like, yeah. We, we just have so much on our calendars, and I, myself included. Mm. And I can, like, pause. And I heard you talk about, like, meditating mm-hmm. today. And I, I do that occasionally. I need to do it better. <laughs> do you, how I've do you done, meditate? Well, I've done it through yoga in the past. Oh, yeah. It's like, great. active meditation. Mm-hmm. Just trying to, like, focus on my breath and breathe and be in the yeah. moment. And, again, now that I'm working all the time. And traveling a lot. It's traveling. It's just so much harder. And I can empathize with you know, the average person so much more. Right. Because I know what I should be doing. Right. But it's like pr- figuring out how to prioritize it and and make it, you know, again, that's why if I put it in my calendar. Yeah. Like try to protect your own space. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that now with your co-founder, Isaiah, for the Sports Innovations Lab, that, that you guys are, are in multiple um, locations simultaneously working on the same project that you probably have to be more thoughtful about inputting even travel into your calendar. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you look at if you look at your phone, which you referenced, what other apps are on your home screen? Oh, probably the ba- the ba- I'll open it up right now. Okay. But you're right on on on. Because like believe it or not, I think we're going to find out a lot about you <laughs> through, through your home screen. <laughs> um, no, you you talked about calendar. I think if you actually aggregated where you spend your time. Yeah. If you color code, I color code sometimes on my – then you can actually see visually and you could add it up. Like what are you prioritizing? Huh. Are you prioritizing – even if you put sleep in there, like yeah. track your sleep, track how many call, how much time you spent making calls, yeah. doing emails, you know, how much time you did social. Like you actually started 24 hours a day color coding. Yeah. And did that for like a month. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty interesting. That's actually where you put your time. That's, That's right. A reflection of, of you. So you're color coding right now, or no? I color code. Um, What's a good color? What is, what is something like I, I anything in that green tip. is Sports Innovation Lab. Okay. My red is uh, my my USOC LA24 yeah. IOC. Um, I have like a gray that's like personal. Yeah. So it, anyway, it's just it, you talk about Got it. time management. Okay, so back to your question. What do I have on my home screen? I yeah. have calendar, phone, my browser, and my mail on the bottom. Yep. I gotcha. <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> uh, Waze. Okay. Um, yep, I'm a big Waze guy. Uh, Signal and WhatsApp because Signal is actually a really secure way to send notes. Yeah. Um, and given everything I do – there's certain areas where I have to be more, you know, precise and yeah. and, and just sending an email and yep. very cognizant of that. Um, camera, FaceTime, usual uh, yeah. messages. Slack is a big one. Yep. So you're using Slack. I love Slack. It's like the best thing ever. And whether I was using it this summer with, uh, I had some interns. We were we were doing some market research. Now we have an awesome Slack channel with Sports Innovation Lab where we're able to co-collaborate. Um, send interesting articles, yeah. talk to one another. Yeah. Um, even our, you got to talk to the, uh, one of the guys on our team, David, who integrated a way for us to upload information into our research platform on the Sports Innovation Lab. So if I come across a really cool tech company, sports tech company, I can through Slack upload 
and it goes right into uh, uh, like a queue in our platform to. Yeah. to so he he, I don't know how he's doing. So all your teammates then look at it. Yeah, so everyone can see and it. And that's probably your your largest form of communication, even over email. Uh, no? e- email and Slacker. It depends. It depends what we're talking about. Yeah, but those are the two. Um, what yeah, about I social media? Not on not on the home screen. I I have Twitter, Facebook. Because you have a massive following. Yeah, I have a pretty good following on Twitter. I'm like 250 something. Yeah, you have a quarter million followers. Which is bad. Uh, and I have Twitter feeds and uh, Facebook, um, and then and my LinkedIn stuff I do separately. Right. But uh, yeah, I use Facebook too mostly in a similar way of of Twitter. Got I it. I don't really. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. This is is helpful or not? Yeah. Skype because no. since I travel internationally a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Skype. I use. Uh, um, Go to meeting and Blue Jeans or the yep. other two interfaces. Blue Jeans is great. I think Derek um, Jeter's an investor in Blue Jeans. Oh, really? Yeah. I just had a conference. Um, all the leaders of the international federations, the athletes commissions. Yep. So I had, you know, thirty athlete commission chairs over the span of two calls because time differences. But I did. We did that through Blue Jeans. Um, yeah. yeah. And we're able great. to basically, since I'm the chair of the athletes commission on the IOC, I can't be everywhere. Our commission can't liaise consistently, but just getting online, seeing someone face-to-face and talking about global issues, like you have to use tech to do that. Well, let's talk about the IOC and its governance across the Olympics and start with how you kind of catapulted yourself into that conversation, that leadership group. Yeah, so I ran, I was nominated by the U.S. Olympic Committee in 2010 to be on the ballot um, at the Vancouver Olympics. And was, was that through application? That was just, I was interested in, yeah. in being a part of it, put my name forward. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, you know, kind of making it through the pipe um, and was elected then by all the athletes that competed in the Vancouver Olympics. So not just Americans, but all athletes. Oh, wow. So they picked two uh, and we were honored with serving eight year terms yep. on the IOC. So I have one year left. Uh, my term is up in Pyeongchang. 2018 next year. Um, but I've spent the last seven years as a member of the IOC, um, member of the U.S. Olympic Committee Board. I'm now on the executive board of the International Olympic Committee because I'm the chair of the Athletes Commission. Yeah. So there's a there's an athlete's voice at the highest level um, on the IOC, yeah. um, on the executive board. So I want to I want to tackle two items. One is personal to me, and and that being lacrosse. But we'll start with the other. A lot of people try to figure out why or what happened to women's softball. Yep. Why it was pulled and then why it's back in. Yep. There's there you know there's rumors about like competitive clauses because USA and Canada just crushed everyone. Yeah, yeah. And is that really in the spirit of the games or is it a funding or is it a viewership? Yep. Like how do you guys look at those kind of uh, fringe alternative team sports? Yep. So I wasn't there. I came on right after that. <laughs> after the softball, they got pulled yeah. out. Um, but. Typically, the IOC looks at a number of factors when deciding which sports are on the sports program. Yeah. So universality, obviously, is one. How many countries are you? And what's the minimum, typically? Uh, I, I actually don't know it's off like the top of my or, head. Or, I think but, it's, yeah. yeah, as broad as possible. There's Think about it. There's 206 National Olympic Committees. Wow. Um, so trying to be as global as possible, universal yeah. as possible, is a big part of yeah, it's a lot. sport. Yeah. Um, how, you know, there's there's the balance between the traditional, so like the modern pentathlons that have been around forever. Right. That aren't that relevant now. But right. y- couple that with uh, 
you know, like skateboarding or surfing that are getting onto the program for the first time in a, you know, temporary capacity, but in Tokyo. Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, and snowboarding a few years ago was unheard of. I can't believe snowboarding, like who does that? And right. now it's a staple. Yeah. And that was only 98. It was the first time it was on. Why did it become a staple? Because of viewership? Because people are doing it. Yeah. It's, it's participation participating. And, yeah. So I think, um, there's only capacity is the biggest thing for getting on. There's 10,500 athletes in the summer, 3,500 athletes in the winter. Wow. And you have to literally build a village. So yeah. when, when the IOC is deciding should we add a sport, um, they, they have to remove sports in order to, to put ones back on. Yeah. And you were talking about that. It's like getting a liquor license in your state. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And, you know, the federations that are there currently, they don't want to lose a single athlete. Um, so the IOC, what they've done, rather than have to pull a sport, they're playing with the different disciplines. So they might be able to curtail the number of swimming events, as an example, Got it. to make room for a new sport to come on the summer platform. Yeah. Or, hey, this sport has th- you know, too many disciplines. Or, or maybe there's a new discipline, like basketball is trying to get three on three. Well, maybe they can use the same athletes so it doesn't bump the capacity in the village. Yeah. But reuse those athletes for a three-on-three tournament um, after the regular tournament. Are they really trying to get three-on-three? Yeah, they're talking about it right now. Is that because of rugby going to seven-on-seven and having success? No, actually, um, well, rugby's on seven-on-seven because of the length of time. It was the only way they could actually fit it on the platform. Because big rugby, you know, the normal rugby takes weeks because of injury. I don't don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, so (laughs) seven-on-seven is like, one, the games are short. They're good for TV. But two... Physically, the players could actually recover in time to play huh. the next game. Yeah, makes sense. Three on three um, came out of the Youth Olympic Games, which is a new platform that the IOC created in 2010 for the first time in Singapore. It's 14 to 18 year olds, um, winter and summer, and they the sports get to bring try new sports. Really, you yeah. can keep the same sport, but like hockey had. Is that where lacrosse should be? I think lacrosse should 100% try to get into the youth games huh. um, just as a demonstration. Yeah. So rock climbing, for example, was in, uh, was in the last Youth Olympic Games in Nanjing, China, mm-hmm. just as a demonstration. And the sports director, I think, saw it and goes, hmm, it's fairly inexpensive. It's super dynamic. It appeals to youth. Yeah. That's, a, that's another huge thing. Yeah. Like, how do we stay relevant? Right. And I think a combination of all the factors that are important, they said, hmm, let's try this out in Tokyo. Yeah. So now they're a demonstration sport in Tokyo. And as a reminder, each host city can decide uh, which sort of temporary sports they want to put on the platform. And that's why we were talking about if LA gets the bid in 2024, that it might be easier to get lacrosse as a temporary Demonstration yeah, be, sport. well, you're, the host city doesn't control the pla- the permanent sports, but they yeah. can propose the sports that they want. So surfing is a great example. Like, of course, we want surfing in LA, right? And we would put that 100 percent on the platform because yeah. it's like the birth of you know it's Huntington Beach and it's right. a no brainer. But lacrosse, you can also argue, is like the, it's a big sport in America, yeah. and uh, we we want to continue continue to have it grow, maybe give some visibility. Yep. So, I mean, my recommendation is try to get to Buenos Aires in 2018 in the youth side. In the youth side. Uh, get a little visibility, even in 2022. Um, but 
LA certainly, whoever's having, whoever is in charge of lacrosse should be having those discussions now. Yeah. Because I'm sure in LA they would, you know, they would love to have lacrosse. Right. Well, prior to going into the IOC and the USOC, and we were talking a little bit about social media, I do want to ask, you were given an opportunity to be on season six of The Apprentice? I was. (laughs) What? And I took it. (laughs) And you took it. I was actually elected. They did this like, Fans could vote at the 2006 Olympics. Yep. And I got voted the most votes. Yeah. And it was, you know. But you had a conflict with Team USA, right? Well, it was this, they filmed the summer after the Olympics. Okay. So there was some dead time. Yeah. I was like, all right, why what, not? What type it? of obligation were they asking? Six weeks. Oh, that's it. Yeah, because every week is actually filmed in three days. Okay. So you're exhausted, and that's part of the reason they get you to talk. Right. <laughs> you're just exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you're pulling all-nighters and you're pulling your hair out and you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, but no, I went on and, and you know, had a, had a fun experience. Yeah. You know, I wasn't – there were some people that was their claim to fame and it yeah. was just another thing. I was having fun at yeah. the end of the day. And uh, got offered a job uh, by by Donald Trump and uh, went in and I just decided it wasn't the right fit for me and yeah. uh, kept playing and won more Olympics. and But had a, you know, had an interesting experience in the world of – uh, reality TV. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Is network uh, television or any type of, is that in your future? You know, I thought about doing it and I think a lot of us as athletes have that opportunity. Um, I've done some color commentating. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I, I wanted to, this sounds crazy. I just wanted to try something I'd, I didn't have any experience at. I, I yeah. went back to business school and I, I, I it's almost like I was looking for the next challenge. Yeah. So I, you know, I could always go into broadcasting. I think I could always put my, you know, dip my toe in the water again. But, um, you know, there are certain phases in life where if you don't jump in two feet, it's hard to get in. Right. But there's others you can always go back to. Yeah. And I felt like with business school, I, I wanted to kind of go two feet in there. Yeah. Well, your fulfillment of your career at the Olympics four times through – how how did you – I always find that really interesting for Olympic-specific sports. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain those three years in between your training yeah. and, and your mental prep and your passion and drive? Yeah. Um, so probably similar to, like, your sport and a lot of the non, like, you know, the big sports that are playing in front of tons of fans right. and making tons of money. And, it, it, like, you have to really love what you're doing. Yeah. It's the only way I think you're going to be successful because it's a grind. You're you're doing it for the right reasons. I mean, yes, we want to make a living and make a few dollars um as athletes, but to have a long career in a non, you know, primetime sport where you're making millions of dollars, right. like, you have to literally just love what you're doing. Yeah. Because you have to get up when no one's watching. You have to play when no one's watching. Yeah. You have to practice more than you know, everyone, it, it's, it's, you're on your own. You're on your own. Yep. And yeah, in the big game when millions of people are watching at the Olympics and everyone's giving you a hug and telling you you're a hero and you know, you're my idol. That's fantastic. But that should not drive you because mm-hmm. it's all about the process. Yeah. And in that process to me, those three years where no one's watching and it's cold out and you pick up your hockey bag and you're going to the rink. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to love that. You have to, you have to find meaning in that that moment or else you're not going to make it to that big game. Yeah. How how were you able to carve out a, a livable career 
from in, from multiple income streams while you were playing professionally before you went to Harvard and went back to school? So I worked, um, my sponsors were super helpful. Um, I, you know, I had like Visa and Coke and Nike and some awesome supporters of, did, of my career. Did those come like primarily in preparation for an Olympic They year? typically come the year before. The year before. So you're, again, on your own. But it was, again, I'm always trying to figure Because those out. are blue chip deals. They were those great. Are big deals. No, 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 they were great. I, I can't underscore how awesome having you know, a GE support you. Did you structure those on your own? Uh, I had an agent. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but my, in the thing I wish I would have done later is ask for stock. <laughs> yeah. Or equity. Yeah. Um, I actually took a check once and invested in the company I was, that was sponsoring me. From- <laughs> Which actually, company was that? Coca-Cola. Awesome. <laughs> and I made more money off of that investment than That's I brilliant. I literally yeah. like took the cut and okay, I was paying taxes on it, but right. um, but I invested it. I was like, I'm gonna invest in the stock because if I actually care about this company, whatever it is, yep. like you get. I, I, that's why I'm a big fan of equity incentivization for for athletes and yep. in general. Yep. But that was, I mean, that's co- sort of towards the tail end of my career. When I was my first two Olympics, I was still a student. I couldn't take a penny. Yeah. So I ran my own hockey schools. For 10 years. Um, So in the summertime, I had girls hockey camps. I hired my teammates. We, you know, hey, I had a blast. You got to inspire and, you know, nice little stream of income to help you. Um, I worked for the Islanders in kind of a, uh, you know, like a interesting structure where they let me leave when I needed to train. And they trusted I was going to get my work done. What were you doing with the Islanders? I was the director of um, basically their, like, uh, nonprofit arm. Okay. So we were trying to grow hockey in China at the time. It's called Project Hope. Yep. And I flew over to China a couple of times and wow. we built ranks and yeah. set up some local tournaments. What's um, youth participation like right now for women's hockey? It's getting better. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the biggest thing is the the impact that you know as society starts to accept that women should be able to play any sport and yeah. not just certain sports. The, the the ability for parents to say, oh, yeah, I could see my daughter playing hockey. And I think that's come with more visibility in the Olympics, more visibility um, in the NCAA. I mean, honestly, in the U.S. at least, that's the yeah. big driver yeah. because you can get a scholarship and parents hear that and they're like, oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so the perception is going away that hockey is a boys' sport and yeah. that's actually driving um, – grassroots engagement and, and boys and girls signing up. Yeah, and talk about now the state of the game with the with the women's pro league that just launched and and folks like um, Hillary Knight mm-hmm. and Megan Duggan that was here today, um, what they're doing and, and, and how you're kind of supporting them from an advisory role. And yeah, yeah. No, I want I want a league, a league to succeed. Yeah. I think. Um, you say a league because well, it may not two. be this one. There's two. And I honestly, I don't know if sounds like lacrosse. <laughs> yeah. Too many, and I look at I <laughs> too, look, honestly, too many exactly. But I, too, too, you need one, right? And you need the right league with the right people, and you know you need to work together and 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 and, and include everyone because there's international players that aren't here. There's, you know, the NHL isn't structuring. You know, they're not working. They're you if you get the right people in the room, and just say, look, let's cut through it. Let's learn from women's basketball, women's soccer. That was okay. Let's start a league and fail. Start a league and fail. Start a, like I don't want to do that. Right. So for me, um, no, t- 
Today, by the way, is the 19th anniversary of our gold medal. <laughs> Congratulations. So we, we need to win another gold medal, by the way, to get yeah. people excited. Huh. We're talking about women's hockey in the yeah. U.S. But U.S. and Canada are have been the you know dominating. I think to really be successful in women's hockey, one league, you get the NHL, you get the IHF, yep. you get USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, all the international federations, you get the players on the same team. So you don't have the Canadians playing in one league and the Americans right. playing in another. You need that rivalry. Yeah. Um, and again, I see this a lot in business. I see this a lot at the Sports Innovation Lab. Like, just by looking at the ecosystem, if you get the right people in the room to have the right conversation, you just cut through it. Right. Put the right business plan plan in place. The right investors. Yeah. The right strategy. You get good alignment. Strategic partnerships. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think women's hockey will get there. Yeah. Um, it's great that we have two leagues. It's great that people are showing interest and trying to refine the model. But I don't think we're there yet. Um, but the conversation is happening. Yeah. And to me, that's you, you need to start with a conversation. And you yeah. need to start with people saying, I want to do something. They just don't know what to do. Yeah. So I'm pumped for Hillary and Megan Duggan and all these amazing role models and players to have the opportunity to play in a real pro league. And they're, they're blazing a trail right now. Um, I think the next generation will probably be where you'll see the bigger fans and the bigger support from, you know, again, partnering with the right, um, the right leagues or the right people to really continue to elevate the game. Yeah. So I'm happy. I, you know, we didn't have anything when I was playing. Right. Now we have something. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm waiting for that next level. When you've developed a, a huge platform on Twitter, um, how are you advising um, the Hillarys and the Megans on on creating a platform and mm. a brand for themselves? So it's, I think it's hard, but you just have to be yourself, yeah. and you have to be aware that. Um, at the end of the day, athletics, as much as I hate this, is just entertainment. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're not. Sound like Vince McMahon. <laughs> no, it's sad though. I thought it's true. you love it when you're playing. You're like, I'm playing for this higher purpose. And, I, and yes, that's true at some level. But once you get into like the point where you're building a brand, like yeah. you have to recognize that you are building a business. Yep. You're the business. And so providing insight from like, what would a fan want to see? Exactly. What do they actually care about? And, and you're, you are interesting as an athlete, you know, what you eat, how you train, what you think about, because again, for me, at least, um, sports, again, you can fail as much as you want. You can try things, you can, um, and you have a platform and people watch that and they learn through you. They learn through your failures, your success. They learn what you're, so to me, one, just recognizing, you're in a business, you're, you're, you are a brand. Right. And, and some people don't like that and that's yeah. fine. They don't have to be on Twitter. They don't have to, yeah. um, but we, you know, today's talk about quantifiable athlete and what that means. Like we like to think about it as just like performance, but the sooner athletes can realize like for your sport to grow or for you to get what you want and yeah. the fans, like you have to turn into a business. Yeah. And as soon as that, that, switch is flipped, then the way you approach your own brand, your social media changes. It's like, okay, what do people want to know about me? Recognizing you're actually 
in your own reality show. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes a ton of sense. So if, like, <laughs> if we could if we could rewind I hate that because I started I actually playing because love it, I wanted that's what I to do. be an athlete, you know? <laughs> yeah. If we could rewind You do it better than anyone. I mean you are out there Thank you. talking to people and you're you're but but through the way that you've approached your career, you're 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 giving visibility to so many young kids, to so many fans of your sport. I think that now they're gonna actually tune in because um, in a sport, in a, you know, whether it's women's sports or Olympic sports or, you know, not the big, why do so many people dive into the Olympics? Yeah. Well, they, and they don't even know you. Well, yeah. it's because they get to know you. Yeah. NBC tells this amazing story. They do. they do it on your behalf. So if you don't have an NBC, you don't have a big platform, you have to tell your story. And yeah. you've done that. You go out and you, I've seen you throw balls over lakes and you're just yeah. like you're doing like crazy stuff it's but it's cool well, let me ask like, you that's if, engaging yeah if 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 you were to have gone if you go back to one of your olympics and, and storytell and imagine you had like the vlogging camera in hand for youtube yeah. or, or your mobile phone for snapchat yeah. what were some really interesting stories or maybe just one in olympic village of your experience there what's going on in the olympics we, we all hear about it and we sort of like take a peek um so in the village itself yeah sure uh, let's some, see. Some fun athlete stories. Well, it's, I mean, it's every athlete from all over the world and you're wearing your gear so you yeah. know where people are from. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had any of this, this tech back in the day because I have like pictures that are, yeah. you pick them up and. Right, right. <laughs> so, or, um, or maybe not. Maybe it's good <laughs> everyone did it. No, actually, no, you're, you're at my younger days, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but no, we, we typically had to train almost through the end of the games. So we were very focused and yeah. dialed in. As soon as that we were over, we had three or four days, um, you know, to party, to hang out, yeah. to live live it up because then you go home. Um, so, yeah, 98 when we won, I mean, that was a bit of a gong show. <laughs> what did you guys do? <laughs> we, we went into town. We, yeah. you know, we lived it up. We, we, we did karaoke, I remember, with the men's hockey team. And at the time, that was the first time – the men's hockey team, the pros, were back in the games. Oh, cool! So I'll never forget that because I was, I was fairly young and <laughs> I, was in a, I was doing karaoke with all these NHL guys yeah, and yeah. with my team and just celebrating. Yeah. Um, you know, you're they, they have little areas in the village, but the problem is they don't want you to get too rowdy, right? Because other athletes are still competing. Got so it. You typically have to leave. Yeah. Um, but. Does every nation hang with each other, or is there some cross-pollination? It depends. I mean, the biggest barrier is language. Mm -hmm. So if I see a Brit, I'm like, oh, hey, good. You know, I saw you compete today. You know, you can just talk right. to them. Right. Whereas, like, a Chinese athlete walks by, and you're like, yep. Yeah. Don't, can't communicate. But um, you typically sit together and become friends with all the Americans, because you're all wearing a USA gear, and... You'll sit together in the dining hall, yeah. um, and then you might actually go to their events because yeah. the USOC will give tickets to, su to support other athletes. Um, and slowly you make friends. I made friends with a couple Irish bobsledders, I remember. Um, you trade gear. Yeah. So a lot of the athletes will go on the front of the village with, like, extra shirts or hats. And I always take a couple weeks to eye out what I actually want, and yeah. then I'll come and I'll find someone. I'll be like, oh, you're from Austria. Like, what do, you, what do you want for that jacket? I got, yeah. a, I got a USA sweater. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. Apparel swapping. So the apparel swapping is a good way just to make friends and yeah. break bread. And, That's great. Yeah. Having, having gone through it a number of times at, at a really high level, 
what would you say are some of the most important characteristics of, of an athlete that can endure um, the, the, to, to the extent that you have and won so many championships and medals? And I want that. I want you to think about it similar to, to how you do as, as a boardroom member now mm-hmm. when you look at IQ, EQ, mm. being a hard worker, physicality. Are they all just as important? Are there are there are there some areas that that you feel like, hey, without this, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am? Mm. I think it depends what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you're if you're in uh if you're in a role where, like, as an ice hockey player, I played on a team, so actually having EQ is kind of important. It's really important. Even though IQ, hockey IQ and being strong, you have to you have to like get people on the same team. So EQ is actually really important. If I'm doing an individual task, it's not as important. If I'm just, how many widgets can I make this day? Or, you know, I got to crank out a report. Like, okay, I don't really need that. So I, so again, I think it depends on the situation. Um, I think hard work across the board. Yes, always. Um, I think showing up and being present and, you know, being in the zone, so to speak, it's it's really hard to get in the zone when you're not when you don't have a platform to get in the zone. You yeah. don't have a big game. Yeah. Um. So that's harder to like manufacture in the business world. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the IQ and the EQ I think are super important. I think EQ gets under is underemphasized in oh, life. No doubt. It's just crazy to me. And and yeah. and and those people that do have EQ, I think they're like appalled sometimes. And how right. people can act, yeah, and and the impact that that can have. But then at the same time, I can understand it because of empathy. Yeah, Being exactly. Like, oh, no, so me. so my the last company that I worked for, um, uh, hedge fund I was at, that we actually had to take all these personality tests. And I was like, this is kind of weird. But the idea was, look, um, have you heard of the MBTI test? No. So it it scores you on a number of dimensions. I was I was bugging Isaiah last night. I'm like, you're definitely an extrovert. And Josh, I'm like, I think you're an introvert. And right. having that uh, perception, it's not good one way or the other, but are you, do you like things planned? Or are you like in the moment, you're cool with on the go? Like yeah. un- literally understanding your, the spectrum of people and then how that overlays with one another. Like yes. you approach a situation different. You approach a person different. You approach right. a project different because I don't know. Again, no, team yeah, athlete, team right. athlete. You're- so you do that as a captain, as as a leader on your team. You do that as a business leader. You know that each person that you speak to or engage with, you have to understand kind of what makes them tick mm-hmm. so that conversation can be fruitful versus I think what a lot of coaches do is uh, they, they broaden out uh, reprimands across the entire team. Yep. And they don't subscribe to an 80-20 or in, in sports, what I see is like a 10-80-10, mm-hmm. where they're spending all their time with the top players on their team. Yep. And they're outcasting the, the bottom mm-hmm. uh, players on the depth chart. And mm-hmm. then they're ignoring the middle, yep. where coaches, I believe, should focus on getting the middle to the top because the top's not going anywhere. Yeah. And keeping the middle from going down to the, to yeah. the bottom of no, the depth chart. No, it's a good chart. way to look at it. And I would even say... Just personalization of how you appro- how you coach people and how you work with one another, knowing how they tick, whether it's yeah the 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 ten eighty twenty I think is a good is one way to think about it. Um, but you know if if you're on a um, you know again 
relating it to hockey because sports metaphors are always easy to talk about. Yeah. But why should I be doing the same reps as like the 20 year old? Right. I'm older. This why are the goalies sense. doing the same sprints yeah. as the attackman? No, it's like, doesn't right. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, 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 or how, why is the coach yelling at me? Why is the coach yelling at everyone? Right. When some people are like, oh, I'm going to prove him or her wrong. Right. Someone else is going, yeah. you don't even know. You, you know, they, they want the, they want you to come over and pat them on the back. Yeah. And you actually might get more out of that approach. Yeah. So I'm a big believer of just understanding who you're dealing with. Yeah. And you can't personalize everything, but as much as you can, I think you get more a lot more juice out of, of those around you. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier you're coming in from Sweden, and I can only imagine uh, the, the the amount of travel that you do on, yeah. on behalf <laughs> of the IOC and the USOC. Um, you've also done some charitable work. In Afghanistan, you visited troops. You've done right-to-play stuff in mm-hmm. Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, First, speak to the importance of giving back um, as it relates to kind of making you whole as a person. Well, one reason I'm on the IOC and do all the stuff that I do, because it's all not, it's all volunteer, is um, going to Uganda, et cetera, is I got so much out of sports. Sports literally changed my life. Um, Came from, Family, we didn't have any money. We, I fell into hockey for you know fortuitously as a kid, and now and I got to go to Harvard and get all these great degrees and yeah. travel the world. And I'm like, how did this happen? Right. <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense. Literally, <laughs> like this shouldn't have happened. And I'm like, oh, I played sports. Like yeah. I, I, and I, and I, luckily I think realized sports could take me play. You know, if I focus on sports and education, I could live the American dream, so to speak. I could, my parents never went to college. And so for me, understanding the impact that sports can have, even if, you, and especially if you don't make it to the best level. Yeah. Because the few of us that do, of course you get to like, you know, represent your country and you get to, you know, you get something out of sports, but but actually the act of playing sports, I think you learn about yourself. Yeah. You learn about failure. You learn about working with others. You learn about, setting goals like the it's the what sports teaches you because i don't play sports anymore yeah but i take every lesson i ever learned yeah and i constantly try to apply that to everything else i do yeah. and so that to me is like why you know my volunteer work is to try to give people the opportunity to play sports and to like and to learn about themselves and to yeah. be their best because i believe they'll be better people as a result yeah. they're not it's oh they'll get to win a gold medal like that's freaking icing on the cake yeah but it's you know and, a, and why i'm a big advocate like the women's sports foundation yeah because i'm like why wouldn't society want men and women to learn about themselves and become more productive members of society and a great vehicle to do that is sports and that's yeah. again title nine the reason we have title nine is to give men and women equal opportunity in education and they yeah. you know congress realized sports is one of those vehicles so right at the end of the day, I, I, I personally am like a different person because of it. And I just yeah. want everyone to have that opportunity. Yeah. And not to be limited by the fact that they're not going to be in the Olympics or win a scholarship. That's like half of – that's like a sliver of why you should do it. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a great place to to pause. Yeah. And, and I want to uh, finish this with uh, like a highlight reel is what we do. Oh, that's – 
think that's me. Sorry. <laughs> How do I realize? It's like, uh, it's like a, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still syncing this new laptop. I love it. <laughs> and that's Isaiah. So your business partner. Yeah, he's 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 up next. <laughs> so we are we're going to do a rapid fire. I'm yep. going to ask you several questions, and then we're going to finish. And I want to say thank you again for joining because it was really interesting to hear, and it's always really impressive um, to to go through what you've accomplished in the early stages of your professional career off the back of like an incredible Olympian career. So I think we'll start with one that, that might sit with you well, or maybe not. How many hours of sleep do you try to get a night? God, I try or I get, <laughs> well, <laughs> I tr- I would love to get nine hours cause I love sleep. Yeah. That's what I got when I was training. I probably get six and a half now. Favorite meal. Uh, a, Big salad with chicken or uh, like something hearty, like a burger. Okay. Yeah. Do you prefer to read or listen? Ah. That's a tough one. That's really tough. I don't like audiobooks. Really? I've just started and I love it. You do? Yeah. I like podcasts though a lot. Podcasts are great. Yeah, I'll listen to your podcast. Hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I like podcasts if someone's talking, but if I'm in a, a story, I'd rather watch a story or read. I'm, I know I'm ruining your model here. I'd rather read like a nonfiction book. No, it's okay. I think what, what's, <laughs> what's challenging about Audible yeah. is that it's different than when we're reading our sole attention to like pick up each word yeah. resonates and it's tracking. When we have audible going on, our, our mind is going off. So it's a good, it's a good mm. exercise, I think, to, to practice being present. Cause you, do you do I, it while I'll you're drift, driving? Yeah, and I'll drift off all the time. Do you like miss your exit then? <laughs> yeah, well, I have ways going. So coming okay. full circle to that. So that'll interrupt <laughs> and audible will pause. But I have trouble, I, I want to read multiple books simultaneously mm. and that's always been difficult in the hardback form so if i parse out the medium that i'm pulling content yeah, from yeah. it's been helpful so i'll be reading one book on like mental health and another book on business i'll be listening to mm. otherwise i just end up getting through oh, like 10 cool, percent of both books yeah yeah and i stop so we'll go back hydrate or caffeinate oh caffeinate i love caffeine. okay <laughs> <laughs> what would be your final meal there's a lot of eating and drinking here, but that's because we're athletes and yeah, nutrition is a big part of recovery and sleeping. So Yeah. My final meal, like probably, again, like a burger, like a pint of Guinness. Pint of Guinness, yeah. <laughs> I love Guinness. Yeah. Um, or this final meal, so I don't care what I feel like the next day. Yeah, probably yeah, like salad on the side. Score or assist? Uh, I had too many assists in my day. I'd want to score. Yeah. One <laughs> Who thing, doesn't love to score? Yeah. One thing that you can't go without. My phone. I mean, that's a sad reality. It's like the yeah. supercomputer. You can't. Yeah, your calendar you and up. Slack. And oh your yeah, notepad. everything. It's yeah. my li- my organized my yeah. life. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. Yeah. Appreciate. Thanks, the time. Paul. Keep it up. This is uh, this is cool what you're doing. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, packed with inspirational messages. Also, I enjoyed getting an inside look at new sport Olympic selection methodology be sure to leave us a rating and review. Join me and follow Angela across social media. Her mega platform is Twitter, and her handle is at Angela Ruggiero. Also, I'd encourage you to check out her company at sportsilab.com. Be sure to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with the head coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, world-class tennis star and entrepreneur Venus Williams, NBA star Jeremy Lin, 
and NFLPA Executive Director D. Smith. There are more. You can find all of these episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Show notes, athlete lists, news, and headlines, including other cool stuff, at suitinguppodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening. We're actively welcoming your feedback and suggestions, so you can tweet at me, at Paul Rabel. I promise I will respond if I can find it. Anything related to the podcast, I'm all over it. It's early days, and we're looking for sports influencers, and welcome your suggestions. Talk to you next week.